you guys do this from time to time, but when I see a choir or you know, a music team leading in praise and worship music to the Lord and leading us along in that, I, I, I think of the ones that are standing in front of me and in some way just remembering where they came from. There, there was a time they, they didn't sing God's praises. There was a time, we can think in all of our lives, where we live for ourselves instead of him who died for us and rose again, that we might have new life, new purpose, a new reason for living. And sometimes I just get caught up with, wow, those are trophies of grace. They're people that have been changed, redeemed. Now they, they sing the praises of God. And as you get to know those folks, and as I think about you singing as well, I think, wow, God is doing a work in the lives of God's people through the work of his spirit and the power of his word. What a privilege to be together and to experience that in this life, the days that we have together. Our days are few, aren't they? It's a vapor. You know, this guy's a little further down the road than everyone else I'm looking at here, okay? And maybe I think about that a little bit more, mortality. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, from your seat to mine, it, it goes quick. And wow, what a privilege to redeem the time well in moments like this to sing our praises to our great God and King, and then to open his word. I love that last song, Be Thou My Vision. Thanks for for choosing that one. That's one of Christy and I's favorite. Uh, We have that hanging up in our formal dining room. If you've been over to our house before, you've seen that. And it was a song that we would sing together in the church we attended before we got, got married. So, no, it was not a new hymn at the time we were getting married. Okay, it was an old hymn. I knew you were wondering that, so before you ask. Ah, yes. Okay, we have the privilege of opening up God's Word today, and I want to start here with a picture of a very high roller coaster. Who's been to Cedar Point before? Anybody? Ah, yes, the roller coast, we call it. I was raised in this town here in northern Ohio, right next door in Sandusky, this place called Cedar Point, and this is one of my favorite coasters there the Magnum XL 200, and uh, it was built back in the 80s. Um, Yes, I was there when it first opened, and uh, we would take our college group from Ohio at the time. We'd go up in Columbus up to uh, Sandusky, Ohio, and I remember the first time we went on this inaugural roller coaster. It was the highest, fastest in the world at the time. And we had a pancake-eating contest that morning, okay, (laughs) before we went. And yeah, why not go to the fastest, tallest roller coaster in the world after stuffing yourself with pancakes? And this uh, poor gent that was your age at the time that won the contest with 13 large pancakes, lost all his pancakes somewhere towards the top to the bottom of that first big hill there. So it was, uh, yeah, the... Grass got a little extra fertilizer that day. <laughs> but, um, you know, you look at coasters like this. You know how they take pictures when you're going down? And, you know, usually I just like, you know, you kind of do some signs. And you know when it's coming, right? And, but every once in a while, someone doesn't know it's coming. Like this poor child, okay? <laughs> and um, 
I love this picture, because is it, is it fear? Uh, is it, he's scared? Is it terror? Is it fearful, scary terror? Um, probably, probably all of the above. And, um, you know, you look at a picture like this, you see some different emotions, right? You see the poor, terrorized boy, white knuckle with everything he has, probably the last roller coaster he ever rode, right? And then you have his companion next to him, I don't know if it's his mom or a cousin or whatever, but a whole different expression, isn't there? I mean, she's, like, excited, right? She probably doesn't realize the boy, her boy, uh, is this fearful while she's having this much excitement. And you look at the next row over, there's a little bit of fear mixed with, like, I hope this gets over soon kind of thing. But a lot of emotions we, we see there. What we want to talk about today are emotions, emotions, okay, our feelings, our moods, and take a biblical look at that. And we think of a roller coaster, up and down and up and down. Oftentimes, don't our emotions feel like that? Like they're just on a roller coaster. We're on a high at one moment. We're at a low at another we're on a curve on another time. Other times, we're not really sure where we are. Um, we might feel sick at some point. We might feel excited or exhilarated. But it's like emotions sometimes are just up and down and up and down. And our emotions often are like that roller coaster experience. I could probably say safely, my face doesn't normally look like this young boy's here, terrified. But if I was honest with you today, And I will be. There's a lot of times my heart looks that, just like that, terrified, fearful, you know, struggling with anxiety or a fear of something that has come my way in circumstances that might look pretty good on the outside, but on the inside, it's a challenge. I'm stretched. There are those times I'm frustrated, impatient, angry, and my, honestly, my heart is prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Lord, I'm prone to leave the God I love. And maybe you can relate to that too in your life where emotions are up and down and oftentimes there's a churning going on inside your mind and heart. Sometimes that's visible on the outside. Eventually it will be. But if you can relate to that where just at times you feel like you're driven and tossed by the waves, just tossed to and fro. Today we want to consider our feelings and emotions and look at this topic today. Your emotional responses and how you express yourself is a big part of who you are. It's your identity. It's your personality as it's lived out today. How well do you understand your emotions? Does God, does God care about how I express my feelings? In my experience, my default condition is to respond to something with my feelings, challenges, difficulties, things that don't have good answers. My default condition is to respond with my feelings and not by faith. Christians are called to live by the Spirit and not just follow our emotions. And what I want to look at today is we are far too feeling-oriented. Now, you'll also see today we're going to see the feelings are a pr 
appropriate. We can't ignore them, and we shouldn't suppress them. But we should not be driven by our feelings. So tonight, let's take a biblical look at our moods. We're going to be looking at managing my moods, all right? We're going to look at our moods, our emotions, and our feelings. Now, a little disclaimer here. I am not the emotions expert. I'm not the mood medic, okay? That's got all the answers to every malady you have with your emotions. But I'll tell you what, the scriptures do have the answer. They do. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And that includes how to handle your feelings and your emotions. So let's look at some biblical truths about my emotions. We'll start with a little list here. You know Pastor Clay, when he's normally here, he always has a list, right? So I want to be like Pastor Clay when I grow up. And uh, so we're going to start with a list, okay? Biblical truths about my emotions. Let's pick this apart a little bit. First of all is this. Emotions are God-given. Your emotions are given by God. God created us with emotions. Now, there can be this tendency to think that emotions are in some way, in some manner, inherently wrong. That you shouldn't express them, or you shouldn't think about them, or in some way you should try to suppress those things. So I wouldn't be a feeling-oriented kind of person. And we don't want to be feeling-oriented, and that's the, that, in that being the priority of our life. But if they're bad, then any expression of emotion needs to be suppressed and restrained if we're thinking that way. Now, think back to Genesis, right? Mankind was made in the image of God. In Genesis 126, you know, Clay takes us here frequently. Our pastors here bring us here frequently. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Mankind, redeemed and unredeemed alike, are made in the image of God. And Genesis 1.27 said this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And look at verse 28. You don't have to be there right now, but I was reading it to you. Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them. What a great statement. And God blessed them. The blessing and favor and grace of God just showered on his creation and upon those whom he just created in his image. And he tells them there, be fruitful and multiply. They were given the charge to steward and care for his creation. He provided food for them. He asked them to oversee the birds and the fishes and the animals all under their care, and it was all very good. The blessing of God, unhindered by sin, and in just full array, in all its beauty, uh, showered on Adam and Eve. And I have to think, what would it have felt like to be there? I gotta admit, I wouldn't be frowning in a corner. 
somewhere or just climbing a tree or, uh, you know, got my pocket knife out, whittling a stick, while God's saying, this is what I'm blessing you with. <laughs> there would be like this joy, this, 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 this resounding thankfulness, this, this unhindered praise to the one who, who, who's just specifically made me and met all my needs and put me in this perfect place. Emotions, God created joy and thanksgiving and worship. You know, as grandparents, we love to give good gifts to our children. They may not always be good gifts, but they're meant to be. You know, you try to choose the best thing. Oh, I didn't want Polly Pockets. I wanted Star Wars. And so, oh, I'm sorry. We'll get you next year. Uh, you know, you... But there's this, there's this joy when they just open that up and it's just a gift of some kind and it's just kind of like, oh, it's so special. And that, that smile and that hug and, ah, I just want to, I want to, FaceTime just doesn't cover it. I want, I want to feel them and hold them and touch them and hug them and kiss them. It reminds me of how God just delights in answering our prayers, right? He delights in giving good things, Matthew 7 11 says, in answering our prayers. There's joy in doing that. There's emotion. Prior to sin at the garden, a human's thinking, moods, and emotions were all without sin. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about this? I was querying Christy on the way here. Hey, have you ever thought about this? Um, you ever use your sanctified imagination a little bit? You know, kind of get in there. I wonder what this was like. Before the fall, do you think Adam and Eve ever made mistakes? You think that was possible? You think Eve ever lost her iPhone? You know, can't find it. It was in our house a lot. Christie's phone. Uh, <laughs> I'm the designated looker for the phone. Or hey, call my phone. You think uh, Eve ever like burnt the morning breakfast? Um, you know, we think of, you know, the garden before sin, that it's perfect, but it was without sin. That's what made it perfect. It was uh, beautiful, unhindered, uh, beautiful uh, fellowship with God with no taint of sin. But that doesn't mean I wasn't late for something. Or, uh, but, you know, you, 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 you think about, well, yeah, I guess they could make mistakes. Mistakes aren't sin. Sometimes we call sin mistakes, and that's a mislabeling. We need to remember sin is sin. It's a violation of God's law. It's a, it's a rebellion against uh, God and his authority. And uh, burning the toast on Sunday morning is not a sin, okay? <laughs> mistakes can happen. And uh, I often thought, hey, what? I can't say I often think about this, but when I, when I thought about this topic, of course they made mistakes. Eve would burn the dinner from time to time, right in front of hungry Adam. But you know his response? No anger. No sinful anger. Maybe Adam burned dinner every night and started losing weight, but no depression. Eventually, if they had stayed away from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would eventually, you know, Adam would have seen other beautiful women standing before him, walking by him, right? But never a, a feeling of discontentment with his wife, Eve. 
Why? They're in a sinless world. And that's something they could enjoy. There was really, they could, they could pursue everything God intended for them to pursue in what God had called them to do in subduing the earth and enjoyed it with all their heart without ever a temptation toward idolatry. So man was made in the image of God. We were made to reflect him and display his glory. And we were made as emotional beings. This God whom we worship and and want to emulate, he exhibits and displays emotions as well. We see that through scripture, don't we? God the Father displays anger. He has always a righteous anger. It's never sinful. Psalm 710 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. He hates sin. And the scriptures here say in in Psalm 7, he hates sinners. It it shows you the, 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 the immensity of our sin and the violation that is to God and his righteous character, that he hates sinners. And it shows the goodness of the gospel that this righteous wrath and anger upon our sin and upon me as a sinner was all absorbed by the perfect Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We, we minimize the gospel when we say God does not hate sinners. He can't love them without Christ. Yes, he, he loves them to the point of sending his son, but yes, he hates their sin and he hates the sinner until they're covered by the blood of Christ and in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 11.35, we see that Jesus wept. If you need a little kickstart on your Bible memory program in your life, start with John 11.35. Jesus wept, okay? All right, we all got one down tonight, all right? Let's do another longer one tomorrow, okay? Jesus wept. He had emotions as well. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. God exhibits emotions. The scriptures also inform us about everyday life, that we will experience emotions, a normal part of life. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep, a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. And so we see in this first point, God created emotions. This was God's idea, and it was intended for good. And in the expression of our emotions, we reflect his image. He, too, has emotions. He, too, is an emotional being in the triune Godhead. So we should not ignore our feelings, nor should we suppress them as if they don't originate with God. But our emotions and our feelings were never meant to serve as a be-all and end-all of man's existence. So with that, let's go to the second thing. You probably knew this one was coming, biblical truths about my emotions, that emotions are corrupted by the fall. Emotions are corrupted by the fall. You know, Genesis records that place in time when Adam sinned and disobeyed God's command. And as you're well aware, humankind has not been the same ever since. Romans 5.12 says, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, 
And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. We all are born in sin. And this first family of all mankind be, became dysfunctional at that very moment that the forbidden fruit was eaten. Very shocking when you think about it. Uh, the emotions and feelings ran hot and heavy in the heart of Cain, didn't they? This first family. There was such envy and anger and jealousy that was uncontrolled that there was murder between those first brothers. And right out the gate in the history of man on earth, we have uncontrolled emotions and feelings being displayed to the extent of taking one's life. We believe what the Bible teaches about man's total depravity. That the scriptures teach that man is totally depraved. And not, it's not that you or I are practicing evil to the furthest extent that we could be, but rather it means that the corruption of sin has extended to all aspects, all areas of our life, including our feelings and emotions and moods. J. Adam, J. Adam said this, <clears throat> Man is not a sinner because he sins, he sins because he is a sinner. Let me read that for you again. Man is not a sinner because he sins. He sins because he is a sinner. Man is totally depraved. We're born in sin, and we sin because that is our nature. You see that in Mark chapter 7, where the sin comes from. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Mark chapter 7, 21 through 23. They come from within. It's the wicked heart, man's depravity, that sin comes out. And the only way to keep that sin from continuing and continuing and continuing is to have a new heart. To have a heart cleansed by the blood of Christ, right? So it shouldn't become any surprise that indwelling sin and lies of Satan are at work to often use your emotions against you. Your emotions, your feelings, your desires, your outlook, your inclinations, they are ground zero in the spiritual battle to live a holy life for the Lord. All men are affected by the fall. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we see the influence of Satan, the devil, in our lives. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be merciful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I'll show you 1 Peter 2, 11 here. Thinking of here the sin nature that we battle against. Those of us that have the Holy Spirit are all very familiar with this battle, aren't we? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Our emotions, our feelings, our moods, they're influenced by our sin nature and they're inclined towards evil. 
Emotions are, are accessed not only by our fallen nature, but our, our redeemed nature as well. We can choose to control our emotions and have them be godly and God-honoring. But sin and Satan will attempt to manipulate us through our emotions and our desires. And so the battleground of sin and temptation often revolve around my, my emotions and around my feelings. So let's look at one more biblical truth about my emotions. Emotions are outward displays of my inner beliefs. Emotions are outward displays of my inner beliefs. We have noted that God has created us as emotional beings, right? But my emotional responses that flow out of my life, that are exhibited out of, in my life from day to day, essentially display my functional belief system. What I believe invariably comes out. It comes out in what I say. It invariably comes out in what I do. And it comes out in my feelings and my emotions and my moods. A proper understanding of truth alone doesn't prevent us from an improper response with our emotions. It is really what we functionally believe. In other words, I may know all the right things. God, you're sovereign. I, would any of us deny that? God, you're in control. And yet, who of us wasn't complaining about circumstances today and worried about what was going to happen tomorrow and frustrated and angry over something your roommate did that they shouldn't have? And, but God's in control. We, we, we know the truth, right? But what we functionally believe, what we really believe here, is what eventually comes out in our emotions, in, in, our, in our actions, in, in our, our speech. Matthew 12, verses 34 and 35 says this, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What comes out is based on what we believe inside, right? You ever thought it this way, maybe ask yourself this, you are never just in a bad mood. Have you called it that way? I'm just, just leave me alone today. I'm just in a bad mood, you know? Like it's this kind of this quasi life of its own. It's this bad mood syndrome or something, right? <laughs> and, and, it, and, it, and it bit me today. And I've got it, all right? So just don't touch me. Don't say anything. Let me get three cups of coffee. We might talk tonight. Um, yeah, is it really just a bad mood that we're experiencing? Well, for Rich's bad moods, let me tell you what it usually is, okay? 90% of the time, for me, I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get it when I wanted it. And I didn't get it how I wanted it, all right? I was denied something that I, that I craved. And now I'm tempted to sin in response to this denial of getting what I wanted, when I wanted it, or how I wanted it. And that, from that comes a bad mood, right? Let me show you something here. John Bloom, I don't know if you've read him before from Desiring God. I liked reading his blogs. He said this, God designed your emotions to be gauges, not guides. They're meant to report to you, not 
to dictate to you. Okay? God designed your emotions to be gauges, not guides. They're meant to report to you, not dictate to you. Emotions are like a barometer. They help identify where I'm placing my hope. And this is because emotions are hardwired to our beliefs, like we've been talking about. Emotions are hardwired into what we value and how much we value it. So you might say, hey, I'm feeling very anxious today. Well, don't just settle, well, this is just who I am, or this is just how I'm wired, or this is just the way I was raised, right? Or any, any kind of circumstances we might blame or shift the focus on. My anxious feelings are reporting to me that something's awry. Something's not right. And it may be something very important that's not right. That's not the issue. But if I'm worried and anxious and sinfully anxious over it, something's not right. You can ask yourself some questions. Do I want control over something that only God controls? Do I desperately want a specific outcome that is uncertain to occur? Does God want me to continue in anxiety, as important as this matter is, that I'm anxious over? And then we come face to face with the scriptures in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Clay, Clay will eventually get there in his march through Philippians. He, it says this, do not be anxious about anything. Oh, that kind of blew this bad mood syndrome right out of the water, didn't it? <laughs> All of a sudden, anxiety is sin. Oh, wow. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Oh, I'm supposed to respond a certain way when I'm in this bad mood. It's not just going down to, you know, get some ice cream over here, Mr. Goodies. And that's, that's, that's how I solve my bad moods. Um, I do like a good ice cream cone and Mr. Goodies. But, uh, or any number of ways we soothe ourselves or isolate ourselves or, you know, my little angry room or the, the wall that I punch or the dog that I kick. Um, you've never done that, have you? Prayer. The answer here is prayer. Yeah, it's yourself. Yeah, it's not just a bad mood. This isn't just how I wired. I'm sitting against God in a pity party for something I didn't get, or something I can't control, or an, an, an uncertain outcome that I want to be certain, I want control. And it's not just a bad mood. It's, it's anxious thoughts that the scriptures here call sin. And that remedy here in Philippians 4 is to pray. And what's the result of that? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful blessing. You see how we, we short-circuit the grace and goodness of God when we label things for what they're not? We like to as, as, you know, just massage our ego to the point, well, this is just it's the way I was raised. This is, why, this is the way I was born. This is the, my genetics. Or I w I've always felt this way. And we, we put the blame on other things rather than just, hey, I'm sinning when I have anxious thoughts. And Lord, you have an answer and a remedy. Emotions are outward displays of my inner beliefs. They're not just quirks. 
we must be we must be careful to understand and watch our emotions carefully. The pattern of your emotions are important to consider and evaluate. Moods don't come with no rhyme or reason. We may not be aware of what, us, what has set off a particular mood, but I want you to understand at this point that we should know that something did. Now, a note here about moods, okay? Moods can be influenced by various physical factors, right? So we don't want to ignore these. It's not the emphasis of our lesson tonight, but hormonal imbalances to various organic disease to sleep deprivation. You know, and those of us with physical maladies, organic in nature, something a doctor has, has, has diagnosed, we, we don't forfeit this incredible blessing we all share together in growing in Christ-likeness in the face of physical challenges and infirmities. Now, we may be more tempted to irritability, impatience, unkindness, discouragement, but what an opportunity, a wonderful opportunity that God's arranged to look like Christ in God-honoring ways when we come before him in humility with a broken body, saying, God, do something I can't, I really struggle to do. I'm so encouraged from time to time by Paul's response to his thorn in the flesh. Remember that in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7? He prayed three times for it to be taken away. We don't know what this messenger from Satan was. I thought John MacArthur had some good notes on this particular one. He doesn't believe it was a physical ailment, although I believe it could have been, but John MacArthur thinks this messenger from Satan was this, these, these false teachers, and he believes it was probably the ringleader of the false teachers that were discrediting Paul in his apostleship and authority and making life very difficult for Paul and his ministry to these Corinthian believers and the ones he loved so much. What did he say? What did he say? That thorn he asked for three times to be taken away, and God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient. It's all you need. And the surpassing revelations that uh, Paul experienced that would tempt him towards pride, God said, I've got a better plan. Even to the point of using Satan himself to bring this thorn and to humble Paul to the point of relying on Christ and finding the sufficiency and power of Christ that would only be found in that weakness. And Paul gloried in that. So if you have a physical condition, if there's things you are struggling with, hey, God's grace is sufficient. It's, 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 it's there for you. But you must humble yourself and come before him. You can pray to him. You can ask him. And until or if or when he takes that away, you can understand and know the grace of God that will empower you day by day to live like Christ wants you to live. One final one here I guess we got. Biblical truths about my emotions. At least this first list. Is don't ignore your emotions. Biblical truths about my emotions. Don't ignore your emotions, but don't trust them either. Don't ignore them, but don't trust them. So let's look at this. First, don't ignore your emotions. Emotions, really, if you want to think about emotions, they're an inner reaction that initiates an outer response. They're an inner reaction, something in my feelings, in my, in my mood, in my emotions, right? An inner reaction that initiates something outside, an outer 
response. We saw that emotions are good. God is emotional. He's an emotional God. He's an emotional being. And emotions are God-given to activate our mind to initiate thoughts and react in a given way. And our response to what our feelings are telling us do not need to be sinful. When I'm under pressure, let me tell you, I'm, I'm, you know me. I'm, I'm an engineer by day, I'm an elder by night. All right? I'm the little leader in the day, I'm the biggie at night. And um, I feel like a schizo sometimes, trying to do both well. So you can always pray for me, please. Um, but man, my engineering days have been really busy lately. Everybody wants their wireless network to work. That wouldn't include anybody here, would it? Oh, yeah. We all want our wireless devices to work, and the, the company I work for makes that network. And, uh, oh, so many things going on right now. So many issues. And, man, I'm, I'm in a time of stressed out. I'm a stressed out time right now. Being stressed out isn't sin, all right? We can have our, we can have our, our back against the wall. We can be pushed to the extent we don't know we can go any further. We can have responsibilities and, and deadlines put on us. And although emotionally you might be challenged and perhaps tempted to anxiety, you don't have to give in to anxiety. But that emotion that comes out, it helps you understand the difficulty and the challenges and the stress that you're facing. It's a God-given way of understanding what's going on inside and then what's coming out, right? So emotions and challenges and difficulties don't necessarily mean we have to sin. We can have God-honoring feelings and emotions. Let me show you a quote here by, by Jay Adams. Jay Adams is like the father of biblical counseling. All right? He just died a few years ago. Dr. Hager was a, a friend of his, uh, Dr. Hager here at the church, one of his heroes. That um, was a hard day for Mark when uh, Jay went to be with the Lord. But, but Jay Adams says this, pain is a friend. Guilty feelings likewise serve a beneficent purpose. The pain in the warning device is to be de deactivated by heeding its warning, not by destroying it. You understand what he's saying there? When Rich has got his back up against the wall and I can't keep up with my assignments and I'm, I'm struggling to keep up and I'm tempted to worry, right? I'm not just supposed to suppress that. I'm not just supposed to kind of like, you know, try to make that go away or just change my circumstance or try to do something different. It's, it's really here for me to benefit and understand my heart and how I'm responding and what I'm doing and what I'm thinking. So I may turn that in, a, in, a, in a, an opportunity to, to have it be a God-glorifying way of serving Christ in very hard and difficult circumstances. But we tend to want to suppress these feelings instead of getting the, the benefit of the warning device that emotions can be in telling us where we are. Because what we're inside, we're starting to show that in the outside with our emotions. Now, we'll look at an example of this in the Psalms here in a, in a few minutes here. Before we do there, um, let's go to that second uh, item there, but don't trust them either. Don't ignore your emotions, but also don't trust them. Don't trust them. Jeremiah 17, 9, you guys know it well. The heart is deceitful above all things and so desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And then this 
passage here that we've learned here in Boundless in the past when Clay went through Ephesians. We're, we're told to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of, of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, right? Deceitful desires. Our sin nature deceives us with desires that lie to us. And therefore, when our emotions come out and we, and we have our feelings, we can't just run with them. We must interpret them. We have to analyze them. We have to see what they're telling us. And we'll look in a few minutes here at some scriptures that show us how to do that. But on its face, let's just say here, we can't trust our hearts. They're deceitful. They're wicked. That is so different from the world, isn't it? Follow your heart. You know, just, you know, just believe. Uh, you know, these, these nebulous, meaningless, you know, self-serving slogans that are all man-centered and man-pleasing at the core. And they, they cater to our deceitful desires. We can't trust our hearts. And although we're not to ignore our feelings, we can't fully trust them either because of our sinfulness. And so let's end our time in the minutes we have left at four biblical instructions for managing your moods. What do you do? How do you handle your moods? If I've identified a mood as something as sinful and wrong, what do I do? How do I do it? And we'll start with this. Regulate how you listen to yourself. Regulate how you listen to yourself. Our minds are like a recording device that are constantly replaying the day's events over and over and over. We're incessantly analyzing, critiquing how the day's events are affecting our lives. Oh, I got this good grade. Praise God. I'm the, I'm the smartest in the class, and everybody wants to be like me. You get a poor grade, and it's like, oh, I'm such a failure. It's my professor's fault, or I'm changing my major, or what is God telling me to do with my life, right? It's a roller coaster. One class got the A, the other class were waving a flag. Lord, what happened? Look at Wayne Mack, a biblical counselor, another great guy, puts out some good stuff. What's the danger of listening to ourselves? To listen to ourselves means to freely wander down any path that our mind wishes to take. It is a passive activity that usually results in a constant replaying in the mind of all the unpleasant and painful events and thoughts that have occurred. What a horrible activity that we go and take ourselves through all the time. We are constantly listening to ourselves. Now, we need to hear ourselves out. We have to be careful how much we're listening, okay? Wayne Mack is not saying here we should not think it through. But he's addressing how you think it through is what matters. Remember Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You guys might remember the story. If we had time, I'd have you turn there, but I'll just run this through for you. 1 Kings 21, remember Naboth's vineyard. And King Ahab in the palace is right next to this wonderful vineyard that Naboth had next door. And it must have been a pretty awesome vineyard because Ahab's like, I want that. And he's looking out his palace and he's like, hey, I'm the king. I should be able to ask for that and get it. I think he meant to get it by 
proper means at first, and then uh, Nabus like, no, uh, I want this. This has been my family, ancestry. I thought I could follow the law in, um, in, in, in obedience to the law by keeping that within the family name, and he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give that up. And what was Ahab's response? Oh, okay, I'll find another vineyard somewhere. No, man, this guy goes right into his, his room and he starts having a pity party. Man, he's sucking his thumb in the corner of the royal bedroom there and pouting and dismayed and, you know, just, you know, falling apart because he didn't get his vineyard at his request. So he's falling apart emotionally. Big fat pity party. And in this pity party, Ahab is just, he's exposed to sin. He's exposed to temptation. And here Satan uses a wicked wife to contrive a plot to, a, to appease Ahab's uh, sinful response. So in verses 5 and 7 of 1 Kings 21, Jezebel pumps up Ahab's pride. Uh, pride. He promises what a ruler of Israel had no right to do um, and, uh, and tells him, hey, just go, we're going we're gonna to get this for you. So Jezebel, Jezebel contrives some false witnesses, and two, two men that testified against Naboth uh, deceitfully and resulted in Naboth's stoning to death. And then a Jezebel informs Ahab of Naboth's death, and he very matter-of-factly takes possession of the vineyard. Out-of-control emotions. He listened to himself. I need this. I want this. I must have this. And my heart, I just, he, was, he, just got, he plunged into this depression because he didn't get what he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted it, like Rich struggles with sometimes. And in the end, he, he was open to sin and temptation, and heinous sin it was, because he did not regulate how he listened to himself. Ahab ended up being a slave to his feelings. He was, his feelings were his God. And he didn't uh, assess his feelings properly. So let's see how to do that. As we go here, um, in four biblical instructions for managing your moods, the second one is develop the practice of interrogating your moods. How do I address a bad mood? What am I to do? All right, I'm sullen. I'm depressed. I didn't get my way. I'm anxious today. I'm angry at something. I don't know what is causing this, but I'm in a bad mood. Turn to Psalm 42. I share this with you guys from time to time um, as individuals, and it's been so helpful to me. Psalm 42. I don't know if this is a Psalm of David. It doesn't say. So if I say David, (laughs) uh, excuse my... Accident, but uh, I, I often say this is a psalm of David, but it doesn't really say that. But it's the, the title of the psalm there, Why Are You Cast Down, O My Soul? And in this psalm, we'll see some principles here that we're going to close with tonight on how to manage our moods. And this first one is develop the practice of interrogating your moods. Look there in verse 5 of Psalm 42. In the ESV, it says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? You see this repeated over there in verse 11. Now, the context of the psalm is 
If you look there in verse 4, the authors prevented from worshiping in the festivals with God's people and God in his sanctuary. And this was because of his enemies. They were doing something to prevent him from enjoying worship of the Lord and worship with God's people. And in, verse, uh, in verses 3 and in verses 10, you, in verse 10, you see taunts and persecutions. Where is your God? He's, he's being persecuted and, and taunted. You see in verse 9, there's oppression from enemies that come. And you see this extreme emotion reaction, reaction there. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? So he's feeling feelings of dejection, discouragement. They're quite understandable, aren't they, with what he's experiencing here. But notice what he does. He doesn't go with the flow of his feelings. He didn't go into his room to pout like King Ahab. Rather, he does something quite interesting. He asks himself a question. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? What's the principle we're getting at? Interrogate your moods. Interrogate your emotions. Interrogate your feelings. Don't just trust and run with them. The psalmist here didn't suppress or ignore his feelings. He didn't just choose to ride them out and just hope they go away. He strapped himself to the chair. He turned on the bright white light in his eyes and started asking himself this question. What's the idea here? Figure out what's fueling your emotion. All right? Question yourself rather than just running with them. The idea here is to get down to the root of the matter. And sometimes we need help with that. Sometimes it's hard to do ourselves. And a trusted friend or a pastor can help us dissect those feelings and our responses and what it is that's going wrong that's, that's sinking you in depression or anxiety or anger. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another biblical counselor, said this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You see the difference there? Might be a new concept to some of you, but we are always listening to yourself, ourselves, but are you, how often do you talk to yourself? Now, it might look kind of weird, you know, if you're down in the rot and you're talking to yourself as you're eating that hamburger or mashed potatoes, or uh, driving down, uh, we all see people talking to themselves or singing to themselves uh, in their cars. Uh, sometimes that's me. But uh, we need to talk to ourselves and not just listen to ourselves. Look what Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to say. The main art of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in your hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business do you have to be disquieted? Why are you downcast, O my soul? He asked a very piercing question that deserved an answer. What is the reason? Many things I could talk about that were running short on time, so let's, let's go on to the third one here. Four biblical instructions for managing your moods. We, we have to regulate how you listen to yourself. You have to develop the practice of interrogating your moods. And now you have to inform these emotions with God's truth. Staying there in uh, 
in Psalm 42, informing your emotions with God's truth. God's truth. Look there, verses, the last verse, part of verse 5 and verse 6 there in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. The psalmist who questions his anguish and dejection and discouragement, then he makes a declaration. I'm going to hope in God, and I'm going to remember you. Two things I want you to take away here. What we have to do when we're wrestling with our emotions, you've got to remember who God is, and you've got to remember what God's promised. Who God is and what God's promised. When Rich Brown does what he does when he is stressed out, and I don't want my anxiety to turn into sinful anxiety, or, ter- or my stress to turn into a, a sinful anxiety, I turn to several attributes of God. I turn to his sovereignty. When I'm anxious, when things aren't going my way, when I start to whine and complain, I remember that God is in control. This is the truth I have to tell myself. These circumstances I'm in are not an accident. They are controlled by God. They're ordained by God. They're, they're assembled by God. They're orchestrated by God. God is sovereign. Job, Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God is in control. He's sovereign. I remind myself that God is loving and good. God's disposition towards me is always for my good and for my benefit. Psalm 32.10 says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Of course, we put together God's sovereignty in his love. We remember Romans 8.28, don't we? And we, know that for, and, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God is not only controlling all things, but he's controlling them in such a way that they're for my good. How often I question his love and I question his control. And when I start preaching to myself, it's like, oh, it sure looks like things are out of control, but God says he's, he's, he's got it all in his hands here. He is sovereign. Nothing's outside his purview. And in fact, he's not just controlling them. He's controlling them in the sense that they're orchestrated for my good. Because he loves me and he's committed to me. And in in verse 29 of Romans 8, it talks about he's committed to making me more like the Lord Jesus Christ. There's purpose. And then I look to his wisdom. I think about his wisdom. God always choosing the best course of actions to always fulfill the results he intends. He never agonizes over a decision. And in his almighty wisdom, he always prevails and never fails. We must inform our emotions with truth, who God is and what he's promised. And that might take some work. Sometimes you just got to sit down with your Bible and, and just like, Lord, I, I'm struggling with worry. Ah, text Rich, text Jack or Mitch or someone else over here. What's a, what's a go-to verse for worry? Ah, I use Matthew 6. That's what I use. 
And Jesus calls worry sin several times there. Do not worry. Do not worry. Don't act like the Gentiles, running here, running there. Seek his kingdom instead in his righteousness. I know you need these things and I'll provide them. Oh, God's sovereign. God's good. He cares about me. I'm not forgotten. I start instructing my heart. I don't have to fall apart and worry because, A, God commanded it so I don't have to do it, and B, he's a good, gracious, loving God that knows what I need and he gives me what I need. And he says, well, hey, I know you're stressed out about this, but I got you, I got you covered. Trust me. And then choose to obey and walk, walk in faith. Okay, while well, we're out of time here, uh, we'll just skip that one there. We'll go, to, we'll go to number four here. Four biblical instructions for managing your moods. And let's just, we'll just end here. Seek God, not just relief. Seek God, not just relief. In the end, it's all about knowing God. You know, we want our problems solved. We want our, our issues to go away. There's, there's things we want to do that, you know, n- none of us want to be in pain and trial. We just don't want that. But, you know, there's very humanistic ways to solve our problems. And in the end, we're just, we're not with God. And what, what does that accomplish? Uh, seek God not relief. And if you look at verse 11 of Psalm 42, he says, why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You know, there's no indication here that the psalmist's circumstances ever changed. The goal here was not a trouble-free life. The goal is a walk with God in the troubles of life. May God help us look at our emotions, not suppress them, not avoid them. Help us to remember they're, they're ordered by God, created by God, that God's emotional being himself. We're to find out things about our emotions, but we're not to be ruled by them. May God give us discernment to regulate how you listen to yourself. Develop the practice of interrogating your moves and not just listening. Inform your emotions with God's truth and do it all seeking him to honor him and please him and to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to open your word. Lord, this heart of mine is often sick and deceived. Oh, Lord, too often my emotions rise to the top and I run with them right into a burning building. And... When I get burned and your discipline, your holy, loving discipline gets my attention, I, I'm reminded again that you want us to look at our emotions and interrogate our feelings, um, to question ourselves, to preach truth to ourselves, to allow ourselves to not be controlled by emotions, but by the Spirit of God that's fed by the Word of God. And Lord Jesus, oh, have your grace upon us. Give us discernment, every one of us. We all have emotions that sometimes just go up and down like that roller coaster. We, we want those hills to get a little less steep. And, and Lord, learn um, just the consistency and a more level path to walk on as we mature and walk and apply truth to our lives and to these emotions that can be sometimes so very hard to control. 
for those of us that don't know what to do, I pray, Lord, that each of them seek out a counselor, a, a, a trusted Christian friend, myself or Pastor Clay or another one of our leaders, and that we may help them just to shine the light of God's word and to show what it means uh, to control our emotions and face them the way the psalmist did in Psalm 42. And may this all be done for your praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen.